What is up, everyone, and welcome back. We are joined by our special guest today, Elise Colleen. Elise, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. We're just a few days away from Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, and I'm looking forward to seeing everyone. Uh, I know we're all super amped. Uh, we are seven days out, as Elise has mentioned. She's going to be speaking. She's also going to be on the news desk that we've been putting together, so you're not going to want to miss her. Uh, Elise, what are you most excited for to either see, uh, what are you most excited for to see next week? Well, so my favorite part of last year was just being in the community. And it was really awesome to see that there was so many folks there whose full-time work isn't Bitcoin. They're, you know, they have like normal lives, um, but they wanted to take a week out of that to come and be with other Bitcoiners. And so that was my favorite part of last year. And I'm looking forward to that this year also. Awesome. I know that everyone is also really excited to, to hear you speak and what you have cooking up. Um, I'm curious, and I, I want to ask you, I love asking this to people who have more of a, a financial understanding of just the world. When you were first introduced to Bitcoin, what was your initial or instinctive reaction? Were you receptive or were there certain things that made you question this technology? Well, I think I had an unfair advantage here because I was I was a tech investor. I was already in venture capital and I had been investing in new infrastructures prior to finding Bitcoin. And so for instance, at the time that I found Bitcoin in a way where I was like hooked and started digging in, most of my work was around um, cloud infrastructure investments. And so when I found Bitcoin, it was Bitcoin the protocol. And what I thought was right away, I sort of fell in love with the simplicity of the design and um, the design of the incentive system for various stakeholders. And I thought that there was something there. I thought that Bitcoin could really be inclusive fintech, fintech for poor people that also had application and value for um, people that had wealth. And so I was, I was in right away. I thought it was obvious. Um, I thought that where we are today was foreseeable then, um, really just because of the design of the protocol. Have you felt like over the pace of what's been roughly over a decade now, or just about a decade, has that pace sort of been in line with what your expectations were, or has it been slower or faster? That's such a good question. So I would say that I'm always surprised with how quickly things are happening and how significant what seem like small changes um, can be. And so, and I missed something in your first question that I want to go back to. One of the reasons why I was so bullish in 2013, which was when I really started researching Bitcoin, was it was not just the protocol and the incentives or psychology of the network, but it was also because the type because of the types of talent that were already involved in Bitcoin. And so it was really clear to me that some of the smartest people in the world were working on Bitcoin, were progressing the protocol, were asking questions about how to scale in a way that maintained um, the value of Bitcoin. And for that reason, um, as well as for what Satoshi did, I was really bullish. And I thought that the path towards where we are today was pretty clear, but 
Um, I think I was less optimistic about the timing than what we've seen unfold. And so, for instance, you know, I'm not sure that I would have said that by 2021, we would see um, a country adopt Bitcoin as legal tender or see that half of that company would country would be newly banked for the first time um, through Bitcoin, right? Like we saw in El Salvador. So um, all of those things, 2021 exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways. And um, I'm bullish on this year as well as a result. Well, hopefully 2022 lives up to these expectations. Um, on sort of the topic of global Bitcoin adoption, you mentioned El Salvador adopting it, and we've seen rumblings from all, all parts of the world, other Latin American countries potentially pushing forward Bitcoin legislation. We have Turkey and President Bukele meeting to discuss it after their hyperinflation. And you even have Russia now discussing Bitcoin uh, to be purchased for oil. Where is your focus really on uh, in the world stage for uh, Bitcoin adoption? Is there one country in particular that you are most excited or most nervous about? There's not a country, but a population or community type. And so I think that it makes sense for a technology like Lightning Network to first be adopted in emerging markets or by communities um, in which that are largely made up by people that are unbanked or underbanked. There's an acute need there. Um, however, it's important to note that while there's an acute need for a technology that can allow these groups access to the global economy, there's also a lower ability to tolerate Bitcoin's volatility. And so, you know, it's a bit of a trade-off right now, I think, when these groups are evaluating use of Bitcoin um, to suit their immediate needs. But I do think that when we're looking at what Lightning Network can do today, which is free, um, instant, nearly free global transactions, that that speaks to um, a pain point that many people have on a daily basis. And so my expectation is that adoption will happen there first. And my hope then is that as we think about how infrastructure and apps develop to serve these populations that we're taking feedback um, from early adopters. And so, for instance, on the volatility pain point. For this type of adoption in these communities, specifically to get lightning into their hands, what is the biggest roadblock or hurdle in their way? Is it the current fiat system in place or would it be the credit card processors that are trying to encapsulate as much market share as they have? Or is it something else entirely that I'm not thinking about? Do, so the question was, what would be a blocker to adoption? In low, of the lightning so, network. So I, I mean, I think it's definitely the ability to tolerate volatility. So when you're living on $400 a month and that exactly meets or slightly misses um, your needs for the month, a 20% weekly decline on the value in your wallet um, is impossible to tolerate. And the fact that you can have a 20% increase over the same period is not worth the trade-off of the 20% decline. And so, you know, I think that, and we feel it too, too, right? As people in developed economies that have more um, flexibility here, we still feel a pain from that sort of thing. And so I think that it's, you know, it's, um, that's, that's the major problem is that it's hard for people to plan a month out when they're not certain that the value in their wallet will cover their, um, 
their monthly needs, their family's monthly needs. Um, and then I think we also have to acknowledge that there is, um, you know, there has to then be an ability to tolerate sort of the um, DDoS attack that are altcoin, uh, altcoins and altcoin marketing in these exact markets and targeting these populations. And so I think it's hard and takes time to filter signal for noise and to understand, um, you know, the arguments that are being made and uh, to be able to filter out what's true and um, what, what might just be a marketing meme. Um, and that has actually been, you know, I feel like I've been really impressed by the in-market education that's happened around Bitcoin and how effective that's been. Um, but I don't take it for granted, I suppose. Um, and then finally, I, you know, I think that um, it's not just altcoins that can sort of confuse or like muddle the language um, or value around Bitcoin, but it's also that a decentralized financial system is at odds with the incentives of many other stakeholders, including, um, you know, folks in traditional finance um, or that are otherwise in some form of power. And we see that happening too. Talk to us a little bit about sort of the mess that DeFi has made. We last week had Anthony Scaramucci try to talk to us about DeFi and I, I absolutely blocked him and would not allow that conversation to go further. And I think that this is a, a word that's being used as sort of like this tagline of no one really understands it, but people are using it. So I need to say it. Um, what are you noticing in the conversations you have with different companies and other investors around DeFi in particular? I mean, I guess what I'm noticing, I don't think this is the answer you want, but I guess what I'm noticing is that, um, you know, folks are moving on from DeFi to be focused on NFTs and DAOs, to be perfectly honest, you know, like DeFi is already sort of um, stale or like people have caught on to what it means and what it doesn't mean. Um, but that said, you know, Bitcoin is, is DeFi, of course, and um, we don't call it DeFi because we don't tend to use those sorts of flashy um, words. And we tend to try to be more accurate when we're describing Bitcoin, although, you know, I don't know that that's been helpful to us. I, you know, I guess I leave that without judgment. Um, but, you know, so here, here's how we think about it. We're looking to see, we're, we're seeing altcoin spaces and protocols as an opportunity to learn about what people find valuable and what can gain sustainable traction. And so if in the DeFi space, there was an element or a value there that found a user base that was committed beyond, um, like the gambling proposition, um, then we want to understand it. We want to take lessons from it and we want to see if there's founders that are going to be building it in the Bitcoin space. And so that's how Stillmark approached DeFi. And we would do the same thing with other, um, you know, like trends as well. Um, what, yeah, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. I I'm, imagine, I'm hopeful that there are, um, you know, lessons that we can port from DeFi over into the Bitcoin space, but we're realist when we look at that. So an example of what that means in practice is that we know that the adoption numbers are driven by you know, a variety of things, including unsustainable trends. And so when we're looking at the number of people using DeFi and how they're using it, 
we're trying to actually understand what the drivers are versus um, you know having some sort of like naive optimism that that activity can be sustained, um, including if there what if the regulatory arbitrage play fell apart. Does that make sense? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm a little curious also to just and maybe this is just a more comment than a question, but when you say that like the conversation around DeFi is already getting stale. Is that is there a staleness around the conversation around Bitcoin as well, or does that still have a lively conversation and a lively investment cycle going on? Um, well, I mean, I think that it's very, very lively. Um, I guess um, so. I so let me go back to something that I was going to say in response to your second question, um, which is that one of the things that's exciting for 2022 in the Bitcoin field is that I believe we will start to see impact of Taproot for the design space of Bitcoin. And so, um, and I think that there will be a significant impact for payments. So um, I, I apologize for not directly answering your last question, but I just wanted to, you know, sort of lay the premise that there's a lot of, um, the environment for Bitcoin is really dynamic this year. And the cause of that is some, you know, like very technical and maybe hard to market changes that happened at the protocol level last year. Um, and, and so that's part of what I'm looking forward to this year. Now, the conversation around Bitcoin, unfortunately, I don't think can ever get stale because Bitcoin's a target for a lot of these very well-funded um, alternative protocols. And so I don't think, for instance, that um, you know, like the energy FUD is going to die down this year. So that unfortunately is not going to become stale. Uh, it, it, the rest of it will probably persist as, as well. And, um, you know, I think that's because while Bitcoin looks to take down the traditional financial system, the alternative protocols are aiming for Bitcoin. It's a different sort of um, ambition, right? So Bitcoin is thinking really big. And other folks are, are, you know, just thinking about Bitcoin um, and some even lower than that. Some are thinking about overtaking Ethereum, for instance. And so anyhow, I expect a lot of those FUD sort of memes to be repeated um, and f throughout the rest of this year and probably going forward after that. Hopefully we'll get better at answering them. Well, I think you've, uh, you've made it very clear for a point that we all like to make, which is every other coin relies on Bitcoin for its marketing purposes, for its movement. And here we are yet again, uh, validating it with a, a mind much smarter than mine or Alex's or Chris's telling you exactly what we've been trying to tell, tell you. Bitcoin is all that matters. Uh, you bring up Taproot. And if I understood correctly, you meant it uh, as a potential avenue for more Bitcoin NFTs. Did I understand? No, that? no, no. Sorry. I mean, maybe I, I don't um, disclude that, but I just I meant design space. So, um, so we know, of course, that Taproot's focus was on increasing privacy, security, and throughput at the at the Bitcoin Core Protocol layer. Um, but a consequence of that was that there can be more sophisticated smart contracts on Bitcoin on, on, on layer two. Mm -hmm. And I expect that in 2022, we will see use cases develop around that new potential. 
uh, including new sorts of forms of payments. And so it's just, it's interesting to me. And I think a really important note that what seems like a small change at the protocol level can have an incredibly significant impact on the design space um, once you know developers start to play around with the new capabilities. Yeah, and I think this will this will kind of close a branch that was extended, you know, a long time ago when all, you know, ICOs happened. Uh, the question that the market so far hasn't really answered is what is going to come home to roost on Bitcoin, and that's kind of what I'm most curious to see. Like, what of crypto? Like, it's often positive that you know Bitcoin will steal whatever great ideas emerge uh, in the crypto market at large. But outside of Lightning, we hadn't seen too much of that. And I think if I understand what you're saying is through Taproot, this is now getting easier and easier to imagine. Right. So I don't see it um, in this way. I don't see it as stealing from other protocols. I see it as just taking, uh, you know, so the type, so Stillmark is a venture capital fund. What we're looking for is founders that understand the underlying protocol technologies and can make use of them to create value for a, a new market, a new population. Um, and so with Taproot, what I'm seeing is founders really be creative with what the, what the design space means for them, what it means for the populations they serve. So as an example, something I've talked about before is the ability to have um, what looks like a stable coin transaction on Lightning, which perhaps would be done um, through the development of a stable channel defined by a DLC. Um, you know, that would address an immediate need for folks that had adopted Lightning in El Salvador or other emerging markets. And that's possible, um, you know, that begins to become possible because of Taproot. So I don't know that that's pulling from another protocol or that it's just that, you know, frankly, in Bitcoin and Lightning, we're really benefited by having some of the most ambitious, most insightful founders in the world um, looking at what's possible on this tech. Um, but that said, you're talking about porting ideas from other protocols, and that is certainly happening too. So I often give the example of Atomic Finance. Um, and what's interesting here, and there's other companies like Atomic Finance, for instance, like a BitMatrix. What's interesting with these sorts of companies is that rather than porting ideas from other protocols, they use the fact that other protocols might lead with capability versus secured instability like Bitcoin does. If they're leading with, um, you know, sort of like what you can do on the on the platform, then founders can use that as a test bed for what they'll later be able to do on Bitcoin once Bitcoin unlocks the same sort of capabilities. That's exactly what Atomic Finance did. That's exactly what BitMatrix did. So BitMatrix is building an AMM on Liquid. But they, it, while they were waiting for the necessary opcodes to be available on Liquid, they were testing out what they were going to build um, in on alternative protocols. And so I, I think for that reason, um, it, in that way, Bitcoin has benefited. Bitcoin innovation has benefited. I was just going to ask, like, with a on a longer time scale. I mean, what? Do you think the definition of Bitcoin will become? Is it going to stay sort of this hard 
you know, store of value that doesn't need to change. Or on the other hand, I mean, the way I see it, it looks like it is going to incorporate added functionality and become the super money, the, the actual like currency of people and a very useful and evolving tool. Okay. Um, sorry, Alex, can you, can you repeat a summary question from what you just said? I lost the thread a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's like two schools of thought, like within the Bitcoin community right now. And like the one would be this is a hard, perfect money store of value inflation hedge that doesn't really need to change. It needs to be maintained and perhaps made a little better, but doesn't need added functionality. But mm -hmm. in fact, we're, we're kind of seeing over this last year and hopefully, you know, coming this year, it does change and it's going to continue to get stronger by virtue of attracting, you know, the smartest minds, um, and programmers to add functionality that we wouldn't have anticipated, you know, that Satoshi couldn't have anticipated. So Bitcoin is going through the process um, of monetizing, right? So Bitcoin is, is um, the financialization of Bitcoin has been, you know, happening over the last several years to the point where we now have the big banks like Goldman Sachs referring to Bitcoin as a store of value. I think the next step here is Bitcoin as a means of exchange, which will largely happen through Lightning Network, but not just through Lightning. And for you know, a greater utility of Bitcoin, the asset to be unlocked, as well as Bitcoin, the technology that's um, that's you know fundamentally valuable to Bitcoin, the asset. Um, and then, of course, as utility is unlocked, that will further drive adoption. So that's also something that I'm looking forward to in 2022 and have been talking a little bit about, which is how the type of adoption that we expect to see at this stage will be different from prior years and what that means in terms of who is adopting Bitcoin. So maybe it makes sense to spend a second on that here. Yeah. So as Bitcoin moves forward as a means of exchange and as payment, as the payments network and apps mature, that ecosystem matures here, we're starting to see a shift towards earning as being a driver for Bitcoin adoption. And, um, and the types of earning happening is really diverse. And so we see Fold, for instance, driving earning passively through rewards. Um, but then we also see work marketplaces like a stack work driving earning through uh, in emerging markets, through people that are completing tasks on their phone to earn Bitcoin on Lightning Network. And so the way that adoption will shape up as a result, I believe, is that people will be adopting um, Bitcoin because it's a payments network and because earning um, can sort of meet them where they're at. Um, and so what that means is that we will start to get folks adopting Bitcoin who, you know, maybe are not coming in because they're, um, you know, religiously motivated or looking for a, a hedge against um, inflation or um, or, or even maybe not because they're speculating on an increased price of Bitcoin. Maybe they are just adopting Bitcoin because it was the easiest way for them to perform 
valuable work in a global marketplace. Um, and so I'm excited to see that happen. I think that um, the work that's been done on Lightning is a really important driver to make this possible. Talk to us a little bit, if you can, about some of the developments off of businesses trying to capitalize the Lightning Network, what you're maybe seeing and what you're looking forward to. So there's two um, different buckets here that we have been paying attention to on the innovation side. And so first is all the folks that you know that are sort of Bitcoin or Lightning native thinkers. They're people that um, seem to just have this incredible innate understanding of the value that can be built on Lightning and the business models that make sense on Lightning. So now I'm talking about people like Paul Etoy from Stackwork and Sphinx Chat, for instance. Um, you know, these are like real Bitcoin founders. They, you know, almost, uh, they're thinking almost as like an extension of the development work that happens on these core protocols. There's also another group of founders that started to enter the space um, in greater numbers last year, which are people that are experts in their own field um, and understand Bitcoin and Lightning enough to know that it's a tool for them to create more value in their field. So let me give you an example from Stillmark's portfolio here. Um, and Paul is also part of our portfolio where you know, I'm very grateful for that. Um, on the other side, so folks with a vertical expertise that see Lightning as a tool for them. Uh, we have a portfolio company called Pink Frog, which is a game studio. And these folks are just incredible game minds. So they're coming from King, which is a major studio. These are the folks that built up Candy Crush from zero to 100 million monthly active users. Um, they understand, they live, breathe, think gaming and entertainment. And what they recognized in Lightning was that it was a way to provide more value for their gamers. And so it wasn't about coming up with a novel business model that made sense for Lightning, the way that like, the Paul E toys of the world do. This was really about Lightning as a tool. And so I think that this is a, an incredible opportunity for Bitcoin. Because if we have folks, um, you know, thinking about how can I use Lightning to bring more value to 100 million monthly active gamers, it's a way to get um, Bitcoin and Lightning in the hands of many that would otherwise not see it. And, um, you know, we can sort of ride on the coattails of great minds in other fields. And I'm really excited to see the impact of that on adoption this year and going forward. I'm curious because this is just honestly based on the fact that I spent way too much time playing some different mobile apps in college in the middle of classes, uh, understanding sort of the, the dynamic in those games. When you say they're bringing more value to their users, where does that value come from? Is that coming from in-game experiences or is it coming from offerings, obviously what you can disclose? Well, it will it will come from both depending on the particular game. But what Pink Frog is looking at is um, a user generated content sort of gaming experience. So probably something different than what you were doing during classes in college um, and peer to peer payments. So and, and, you know, they'll I imagine that as they become more familiar and get user feedback on that, that they'll find additional ways to integrate lightning into the game. But it's about 
it's really about, you know, how Lightning can integrate with what they're already doing versus building a business around Lightning. And so the directions um, the entrepreneurs are coming to Bitcoin from are different. And my expectation is that we're um, benefited from that. And then it's also interesting to be able to learn from one another, right? So for a founder that's coming from, say, um, the finance space, the gaming space, the media space, et cetera, there's a lot to learn from Bitcoin native founders, but then Bitcoin native founders also can gain benefit from the expertise of this new um, herd of entrepreneurs. And so I think that's a really bullish sign for what we can expect um, to see introduced via Lightning this year and next. Purely out of curiosity, because I see some of this type of conversation circulate in uh, different sports blogs, but the implementation of lightning onto gambling sites and sports betting, have you seen this come across Dillwater at all? I don't know. I mean, so we, we see several hundred, we're, you know, we're probably tracking 400 companies right now. I, um, I don't have anything top of mind for sports gambling. Um, I probably will. As soon as we end this discussion, I'll probably remember that we just spoke with someone last week or something like that. But um, you know, no, so I'm not, I, I've looked at the gambling space before, actually outside of Bitcoin, before I got into Bitcoin, um, it was something that we looked at as an investment team and we're, you know, I have no judgment toward, nor, no negative judgment towards that space. Um, but I do appreciate knowing um, or, or having it be clear when something is gambling versus when something is not gambling. And I think that um, that has become really, really um, gray or nebulous in the altcoin space and with alternative protocols. And so um, while we wouldn't do that, where there was any sort of confusion between what's gambling and what's not, um, of course, it could be interesting to see uh, lightning or DLC's application to a gambling or sports betting space. Um, we've not invested there and I, I don't have any memory of it being recently in our pipeline. Are you guys, is your group looking and forgive the ignorance of the question, what sort of round do you guys typically come into? Yeah. Well, I'd love to. Okay. So we are focused on, um, pre-seed and seed mostly from the core fund. And we can, we often lead maybe about half of the investments we make, we're the lead investor, but we don't have to be, we can participate just to follow somebody else or, or join a larger syndicate. Um, but the reason why we often lead is because the way we invest is that we're trying to stay close to protocol development, both in Lightning and in Bitcoin. And then we form investment hypotheses about what we expect to see of changes at the protocol level. Um, and, and with those investment hypotheses, we go out and look for founders that we believe um, can execute and can really produce value. So that's why we often lead. We also do some Series A investments. Um, for instance, we, we invested in Lightning Labs Series A. Um, and then sometimes on occasion, we put together special funds um, for later stage investments. So that would be outside of the core fund. So we can really, we invest pretty agnostically. Our check size last year, I think the range was between, the initial check size was between 250K and maybe 4 million. Um, 
across these different sorts of vehicles. And uh, we can be more flexible than that too. We could write a smaller or larger check, but what's important um, on the venture side, because of course we're managing people's money is that we're really thoughtful about, um, you know, what the market opportunity is and to match the investments to the market opportunity, um, which is very different from the token space where you're sort of not constrained um, in that same way. So when we invest, we're thinking about two buckets and one we haven't touched on at all yet. So let me mention it. The first is just the simple um, introduction of Bitcoin's core value proposition, but to a broader audience. So Kaza is a really good example of this where multi-sig is just an inherent part of Bitcoin, but hard for most people, everyone almost, to implement themselves um, you know, sustainably and in a stress-free way without using um, you know, a beautiful tool like Kaza. Our next investment actually, which um, I think will close next week, conference week, is similar to that. So it's just creating, offering to people something that inherently exists in Bitcoin, but in a way that it's it's simple, where you don't have to be you know, a core developer to access it. Then the other bucket is what we've talked about um, through this conversation, which is sort of the, what can you do, what new sorts of businesses and value propositions are possible through this tech? Uh, I love that. I'm going to press you when you're on the news desk, if the announcement has not come out yet of when we're going to hear this announcement next week. Mm-hmm. Excited for that. Uh, curious, you know, we've talked a lot about sort of what you guys are looking at right now. When did this shift and what did it shift from? What were you guys mainly looking at in the Bitcoin space to invest in? And when did that sort of stop being the priority? Um, well, so we've been pretty, so the fund is new. We started, well, new-ish. We started in 2019. Um, and so, you know, we've been pretty consistent. Here's how we organized what we're looking at. So in 2017, Segwit was activated. And what my expectation was for that was that we'd see um, a, a real, like that Segwit would be a catalyst to the launch of um, lightning apps and lightning infrastructure companies. And um, as we started to see evidence of that, that's when the fund launched. And so we knew in fund one that we wanted to be really focused on payments, on infrastructure um, and on lightning, but not to the exclusion of companies like Kaza that are just offering Bitcoin to the masses, really, the benefit of the fullness of the benefit of Bitcoin um, to the masses. Um, Now, Segwit, excuse me, Taproot has been activated. And so what we're looking for there is um, a broadening of what's possible in the payment space. And I think a better service of emerging markets through um, more flexible definition of of payments on Lightning. And um, yeah, so we that's all fund one stuff, but that will carry forward um, for future funds and our work in general. So really we're just trying to observe what's on the roadmap for these protocols and be reactive to what that means for innovation and um, use cases. Did that answer your question? 
Yes, no, it, it absolutely does. And I, I really appreciate you you allowing me to ask sometimes some silly questions here. Um, I'm so what we do on that, like maybe let me extend it a little bit because you saw an announcement a couple of weeks ago, I think that we had um, Bakash Singh join the team at Stillmark and he is a research engineer by training. So the reason why that sort of um, background is important is because once something like Taproot is activated, we continue our research. Um, so we are always, we're, we're really trying to dig in on what's possible, um, what the protocols allow to be developed. Um, and we, we use that in two ways. One, to sort of be a good partner to our portfolio companies to support how they think about expanding what they do. But then also so that, like I said, we can form investment hypotheses and really be on the frontier of backing founders that are making good use of Bitcoin and Lightning. And so, you know, that's sort of the work. It's research of the protocol and what's possible and then supporting founders accordingly. I, I will say one of the things that I've thoroughly enjoyed throughout this conversation, and we haven't had this type of a conversation with too many guests, is your focus and priority is more so on the development and the protocol itself rather than the asset Bitcoin. Um, and from the very beginning, it seemed like that was sort of what intrigued you about this space. I'm curious how many of your investors who give you money to go out and invest, how many of them are come into it with the expectation that you're going to be focused on the asset and how many of them are understanding of what really this protocol has the opportunity to do for them and for all of us? Yeah, we're trying to hit both buckets. So, you know, I would, Kaza obviously serves Bitcoin asset while making use of the protocol and kind of, you know, unveiling something that the protocol can do for a broader audience, like I said. And our next investment does exactly the same sort of thing, not multi-sig, but, you know, something um, akin to that. Um, so that's a good question. So we're looking at the financialization of the space what it means for the asset to gain value and what it means for more people to want to hold asset on their balance sheets or as part of their personal portfolio. So everything from what it means for major institutions to adopt Bitcoin all the way to what it means for an emerging market family to decide how they split their income between savings and Bitcoin and maybe stable coins on Bitcoin that they use for their monthly expenses. So we think about the asset with that breadth and what it means. And we want to make sure that we're addressing all of those needs, but not at the exclusion of what the technology can do. So um, we have been just you know, incredibly um, fortunate to have an amazing group of investors that are partners with us. The first, the anchor capital, the initial capital that like put us in business is from Bitcoin OGs. So normally um, limited partners, investors in a venture fund are, we keep that information confidential, but these are, um, you know, like people that I, you know, we have people that have backed the funds that really, frankly, you know, their work has been fundamental in defining what Bitcoin is today. So the reason why that was important to me, by the way, guys, is because, you know, we, I think it's really important on the venture side to never like really think that you're smart, you know, like you always want to allow room to be wrong on everything. And so um, the reason why it's important that we had some of these Bitcoin 
OGs and foundational people in the fund first was because with them, I wanted to kick the tires on my investment hypotheses. Um, and not because we're not confident, but because we are confident and we want questions and challenges and all of that. And so, um, you know, I mean, the feedback has been good. People are asking about subsequent funds and all of this, but that was the, that was the initial group. And then after that, we've expanded to include, um, you know, like Bitcoiners because they exist everywhere. So for instance, like university endowments and that are actually, you know, run by folks that get Bitcoin. So I'll call them Bitcoiners um, and other people. And, you know, it was really interesting to see last year is that a lot of folks in the traditional finance space, they really grok Lightning Network. Total surprise to me, but it was a hook for them on Bitcoin. Understanding, you know, like everyone's had the pain of wanting to make a payment that you couldn't make because your bank thought it was a weird payment, right? or wanting to send a wire on a weekend and not being able to, like actually every, that's happened to everyone. Um, and so I think for that reason, people have grokked um, lightning and that has been um, like a hook for some of our investors to get really excited about Bitcoin. So, um, you know, that's us. And, and these people are really like partners um, and collaborators to the fund. Let me tell you, the best sales pitch for Lightning is them, my local farmer's market trying to charge me a 50% or no, 15%, sorry, surcharge to use my credit card versus cash. I yeah. look to the guy like, you're kidding me, right? It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's really incredible. So everyone's had that experience, fortunate for us in the Bitcoin space. And so um, Lightning makes sense for people. Now we just need to make sure that, you know, the apps and interfaces that people use to access Lightning feel intuitive for them. And once that work is done, I think the value proposition is pretty clear. How are you combating that? Because I feel like there is a layer of onboarding that some apps have it down pat. Like I can just go to a party, tell everyone, hey, do you want $10 of free Bitcoin? Here's my strike code app, download it. And like, Within five minutes, they have $10 of free Bitcoin in their wallets. Other apps are not as easy to use. Some of them have a little bit more, I think, um, not necessarily technical expertise required, but just like an understanding of what you're signing up for is required. How are you focusing on UX with some of the, the different businesses you guys are investing in? So this is about, um, of course, having a team of diverse talents and not overlooking the design part, which is really important, but it's also about data. And so I think, you know, if there's founders watching the discussion, um, what I think can be really valuable is just making sure you have a good metrics dashboard so that you can start to get feedback um, from your users that you can use to help iterate on product. And so this could be something as simple as, you know, how many new users joined this month? And how many users left this month? Um, and, you know, what changed this month and what could have impacted these numbers? So it, it can be just as simple as that. Um, and using that feedback for product decisions and design decisions um, and then just testing. So, you know, it's um, it, when people start to think like this, it feels very obvious, but it's an insight that, you know, might take longer to have for first time founders, but we're very fortunate on the Bitcoin side that, you know, generally speaking, there's not these odd token incentives that can make metrics really hard to interpret. 
And so it's really just about um, in the Bitcoin space, providing value and listening to users. I, my favorite rule is if my mom can use your app easily, then you did done a good job with UX. So if Mama Q can do it, you did well. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's a good rule. Uh, uh, Elise, one thing that I've been very impressed throughout this conversation is you have such a, a hand on the pulse of what is coming next in Bitcoin and what you're keeping an eye on and how to capitalize on that. I'm curious how much you pay attention to what happens in the political space and how some decisions may affect Bitcoin or your in, or your businesses. Um. Well, let's see. Um, and saying we pay no, attention. We don't care is valid. Um. Well, we try to care most about the things that we can impact, and um, and then we also, I mean, in the Bitcoin world, it's, um, you know, I think that we should acknowledge what the rules are and how things will impact adoption. But I don't think that that would lead us to ignore, you know, a strong company that was, you know, might be challenging those rules. Um, one thing I would like to see is, you know, more Bitcoin dedicated lobbying. Um, and I don't think that it makes sense for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to be sort of like lumped into the same category. Um, and I think all of us are pretty exhausted about other cryptocurrencies sort of riding the coattails of Bitcoin when it's to their benefit. And then, um, you know, trying to FUD Bitcoin um, in the next breath when that is to their benefit. And, um, you know, I, I think it's very interesting and an important data point to see that many of these cryptocurrency token funds, their first hires include heads of policy and folks coming from the lobby, um, lobbying world. And we should take that as a data point. Um, and they're probably right about what's important. And so I, you know, I, I do think it's important, um, you know, uh, to pay attention. It's outside of my personal area of expertise, but we take it as we, um, you know, we interpret it as venture capital investors and use it to inform our projections for various um, products and the growth trajectories that they may have. Obviously, there is the separation of Bitcoin and crypto, but is there a piece of legislation that you would love to see passed that could help support Bitcoin? And what would that look like? And saying legal tender is cheating. I mean, well, I guess, okay. So I, you know, I, um, the, you know, I mean, I, I do think people should be able to store and hold custody of their own Bitcoin. Um, you know, so that's one thing that I would like to see um, clarity gained on. And I know that it's going in the opposite direction, right? With like, for instance, some of the changes that Coinbase has made in, um, you know, countries not including the US. Um, so that's one thing. I suppose, of course, I'd like to see regulators um, indicate that they have done research or have a greater understanding of what proof of work is. Um, you know, like it's concerning to me to see that there may be, um, you know, not enough time spent on that, or, you know, this is kind of not an area where you can defer research to other folks. And it feels like that has been happening a little bit. And so I, I guess, you know, if I could change 
two things. It would be those two things because I think it's fundamental to understanding of Bitcoin that self-custody is a component of it and that proof of work is necessary. You heard it here, guys. Not your not your coins, not your Bitcoin. Or I'm spacing on how not, to properly not your it. keys, not your coins. Thank you. Thank you for picking <laughs> up where I left off, Alex. Uh, Elise, we have about uh, two more minutes yet left. I wanted to give you the opportunity to touch on anything that we haven't yet asked you. Um, well, you've asked great questions. Um, I don't know. Um, I don't know what's the controversy of the moment that I should comment oh, no. on. <laughs> oh, no. We can't get into this with you. <laughs> we are... Uh this very show our interview yesterday seems to be the controversy of the moment who did you interview yesterday uh, uh we had richard interview. hart oh, okay i'm not following that at all um oh okay got it got it yeah i mean i don't know i i don't know i don't know i mean honestly i don't i feel like you guys did a great job of asking questions um i suppose what do i think is important i don't know you guys did a good job about answering questions. I'm just excited for next week. My mind is like already in Miami. And so it's hard to answer open-ended questions because oh. I'm sort of already like, at, you know, at the hotel, like with the coffee in hand and talking to like a founder that, you know, I've only met on Zoom before. So, um, you know, I'm just looking forward to that. I'm really, really excited and optimistic for what's to come this year. And, um, and, you know, I, I hope that if we do have sort of, you know, an up and to the right year in terms of Bitcoin's price and appreciation, that that doesn't mean that we're not focused on building and what's happening at the, at, you know, the protocol level and making best use of those advancements, um, you know, at the app and infrastructure level as well. So maybe that's what I'll say. If, if we have, you know, a year where Bitcoin um, price rises, Let's not let that um, distract us from building Bitcoin from an infrastructure and app perspective. Is there one speaker in particular that you are most excited for? Okay, well, this is, yes, I'll answer this. It's not like a fair answer, but I'm really excited to see my colleague Vikash um, be on stage at a Bitcoin conference for the first time. So I, you know, I get the pleasure of talking to him all day about what, you know, it means to do various, to bring various other sorts of technologies to Bitcoin. And so I'm excited to see, um, you know, like how that translates at the conference. So he's going to be doing um, the Bitcoin VC panel. Awesome. Uh, Elise, where can our listeners and viewers learn more about you? Keep up to date with what you're announcing. I'm on Twitter sometimes, just at my my first and last name. And then stillmark.com, we try to um, keep pretty current with what's coming, what's moving in the portfolio, what we're at, the founders that we're lucky to work with. Um, and so there's there's some some information there too. Awesome, Elise. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. We'll I'll see, see you next in week in Miami. We'll yeah, see looking forward. Awesome. Uh, Bye, guys. See ya. Bye.